Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Welcome back, Awesomers. This is Steve Simonson, and today we are recording episode number 25 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. Uh, you can always go to awesomers.com slash 25 to find the relevant show notes, details, and perhaps a link or two that we might mention along the way. So this is another Book of the Week episode, and today my book is Built to Sell. And I'm not sure I pronounce uh, his last name, but John Warlow is uh, how I'm going to give it a go. And John's written a nice book that is kind of in a parable format, right? He's made a story instead of like a long checklist that talks about some of the lessons that need to be uh, learned from his perspective in this particular book. So first, let's let's fly up to the 30,000 foot level. The idea of built to sell would be that you're engineering some outcome like running a business and that you're building it to sell. Now, this is a very important concept, even if you're not preparing to sell, because you want to build it in such a way that it has value. And regularly, I talk about this idea of equity. You're building equity. So sometimes we're building intellectual equity. We do that by reading books and learning in general. Uh, but other times you're building financial equity. And when you're starting a company, you're building a company, maybe part of your objective is to sell that company and get a financial reward. So if you're building the company to sell, that's okay. That's something that people do. And in fact, uh, it, it's a very good outcome uh, if you plan for it. So one of, the, one of the key concepts here, and I think that this is consistent between the, this particular author, that when you prepare to sell a bill, uh, uh, not a building, uh, when you prepare to sell a company, that a company is worth more if it doesn't have to rely on you, the entrepreneur, for every single decision day to day. So this goes to the same premise of the E-Myth and many other books that basically says, what if you can make your business operate without you day to day? And so this concept of um, you know, being able to operate and engineer business to operate without you day to day is a big deal. And in fact, um, the author goes so far as to say the number one mistake entrepreneurs make is they build a business that relies too heavily upon them. And that can have a series of ramifications. The first is your valuation is lower, right? Because uh, outsiders can see, well, you know, this is a more or less a, a one or two person operation, you know, at the, at the heart of it. Even if they have four or five or ten um, 
you know, assistants or VAs, however you want to think about the, the different job types, they know that the center of that company is one person. That makes them very nervous, and it generally will lower your valuations. So when it, if a company can't stand on its own without the founder, even if it's a profitable company, that spells trouble for buyers. So buyers will either want to lower the valuation or pay you out over time or both, right? Because the more risky it is, they want to get uh, creative with the payment uh, mechanisms and the payment techniques. We'll talk in another episode about the, the different types of deals that, that people make. So the point is, if you build your business so that you're uh, prepared to exit, then you're probably building it so that you don't have to rely, or so the business, in fact, doesn't rely on you for day-to-day operations. So uh, I want to tell you a, a quick story that when, when you are the this only person with, that is making the decisions day-to-day, sometimes that can become taxing, and it paints you into a corner. And I'll give you an example. So let's say that you are, you know, you're doing it, doing it, doing it. Um, you find yourself just kind of going through the motions. It, it becomes less and less fulfilling each and every day. And pretty soon it feels like a pretty crappy existence, even if you're making money, even if you're making sales. And it increases your anxiety because you're afraid it's all going to disappear. It doesn't feel like a real business. And it also uh, it is, a, is a resistor for your equity growth. You know, no matter how hard you're working, it's always going to keep your equity growth down. And I find it to be a very bitter irony that entrepreneurs often, they're so focused on, you know, putting an extra dollar in their pocket or so focused on, you know, having the EBITDA reach a certain level on their financial statements. And for those who don't know what EBITDA means, uh, it means earnings before interest, tax depreciation and amortization. I might have even got the uh, order there wrong. But that's kind of the, the profit figure that a lot of companies are valued on. If you're so focused on that day-to-day and, and it's because you're, you're stuck in the business grind day-to-day, you're really not thinking about leverage. You're not thinking about what makes a company really valuable, and that is having you know, good systems and good people running that business. That increases the value, even if your short-term profit goes down. And it's a real shame to see people who aren't willing to invest in their business for the long term. As those things happen, they conspire against you, and then you say, you know what, I just want to sell this thing and get the heck out of here. So not only have you not maximized your valuation, you put yourself in a very precarious position because too often, deals that are done under those conditions, especially if the company is requiring you to be at the center of it, even after the deal closes, even after the money's in your account, whatever percentage you got up front, it could be 100%, could be 50%, whatever the deal was, Six months go by, five months go by, a year goes by, two years go by, and the buyer comes back and says, hey, this thing doesn't work without you. I want my money back, and they sue you. And like you just ran this whole race to to build and sell this company over two, three, four, five years, and you thought your race was over, and now you're stuck in a legal marathon that could go for untold lengths. And it's just it's extraordinary uh negative turn of events. And I, I really do hold the, the lawyers and the deal makers that are involved in those deals when they go upside down. I hold them accountable when the deal sours because it's not a good thing. And in many ways, it's predictable. So that's the downside of these things not happening in the right. So what happens if, the, if you do it right? Well, here's some of the steps that you can take to do it right. The first is make your business run without you. Then you have a valuable 
you know, equity on your hands. If the business requires you to run, it's lower value regardless of the, the P&L statement. If you focus on your specialties, and I mean within your own talents and within your own strengths as a company, you'll find that is much more leverageable. So if, if you're not good at finance or you're not good at Facebook marketing, get some experts in there to help you. All right, those are just a couple examples, but they exist across the board. And then specialize in what you're best at, where you can make the most difference to the customer, where you can add the most value as you know, person as a company. And when you do that, that's when the equity in that thing goes higher and higher. Uh, one other little tip is you know, try not to have one customer represent too much of your business. Uh, it talks about it in the book, uh, Built to Sell, that if you have one customer that makes up more than 15% of your revenue, you, you're destined for trouble. Uh, you may have some, some issues, when, especially when you go to sell. But even before you go to sell, that customer ends up dictating uh, too many things for your company. Let's just give an example. Let's say you sell to Walmart. You were super excited. That was kind of the dream client to land. You, you just can't wait to have this uh, client come on board. And then when they do, they turn out that they're 50% of your business. Now, and at first it sounds great. You're like, man, my business is blowing up. It's huge. And then they may start making demands and go, you know what? Uh, we decided we want a 3% cash discount and we'll pay you in 30 days, but you're going to give us 3%. Now you look at it and, and you're going, well, they're 50% of my sales. You know, maybe I can, maybe I can deal with that, you know, margin hit. And so you kind of say, yes, uh, all right, I'll, I'll suck that up. You know, you might fight back a little bit. Really, you're too scared to lose the account. Next thing, they'll come up and they'll say, and again, I'm not picking on Walmart. All big boxes do this. All big customers do this. Uh, so don't be surprised. They'll come up and they'll say, hey, we need a, um, you know, some sort of other allocation, a marketing allocation. So we need another 5%. And, uh, and you're like, well, I don't have 5% to give you. And they're like, well, we need the 5%. And maybe the, now you decide to put your foot down, and then they go, oh, okay, good. Well, we'll just buy somewhere else. And then half your business disappears, right? So having one customer, whether it's a service business, a product business, it doesn't matter. Having one customer that's too much of your revenue is a risk to you, and it diminishes your equity, and it makes your business more risky to sell in the end. Uh, if, the, you know, the, the business that, are the best and the businesses that are most saleable are the businesses that show that you've run it like it's going to last forever so that it almost looks like you have no intention of ever selling or or stepping out of kind of the the uh, chairman of the board role even if the company is able to run without you day to day you're still the chairman you're still the the primary shareholder presumably and if you run it like that that's where you're going to find the most value and this the, the book built to sell drives that point home very well I'm going to drive a little bit more about that point home right after this break. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, this is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony. 
P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're talking about the book Built to Sell. That's our book of the week. And I want to be clear that, you know, this concept of running your company as if it would last forever is a concept that's shared through many, many different books and and, uh, thought leaders. This is a, a real critical part of the equation, in my view. If you think about running a business and you're like, all I have to do is get it to the sale, I sign the documents, they wire me the money, and I'm out. That kind of mentality will lead you to make decisions differently than I'm going to have this company forever. It's going to be great. I'm going to make it you know, sustainable. I'm going to make it something that uh, doesn't drive me insane every day. Right? Uh, how, you, how you structure a company, actually structure it to make sure that it operates in, in such a way that it is not annoying to you day to day is a big deal. A lot of entrepreneurs are in the firefighting business, and we like to fight fires every day. And we're good at it, by the way. So it actually feeds our our ego a little bit and makes us feel valuable. But if you're just fighting fires every single day, that means you have terrible systems or no systems, and you need to get systems put in place. So just take that note down for yourself. If you are fighting fires day to day in your business, you don't have adequate systems. Okay? And the businesses that are the most sellable have great systems and they have even better people running those systems. Now, if, if you believe that you're going to sell the company, that's fine, but you never want to be pressured into it due to external circumstances. right? You're, you're worth the most money when you don't need to be sold. When you're making money and... That's when buyers are the most attractive, especially the takeaway clothes. Uh, one time I was uh, uh, basically thinking of, you know, I wasn't actively selling the company, but, you know, we made moves out there in the investment banker world and other moves just to say, well, you know, we're not opposed to it. You know, it's not happening this very day, but we're not opposed to the idea. And we would have, you know, people come in and learn about the company, either private equity or venture capital. And we were profitable. We didn't need the money. But we knew that if we raised money, we could accelerate our growth. And the idea at the time was if we did that, you know, how fast could we get to our objectives versus, you know, kind of the organic way? And the point of this particular part of the story is that by us being able to say no, it really drove up the valuation. It also drove the buyers or potential buyers and investors insane. They they definitely wanted a piece of it even more when we would say no or not that interested or we don't need it, so why bother? So you want to be in a position where you get to call the shots, where you have the, uh, the right decision-making capability instead of being forced into a sale because you're either burnout or you're um, financially under duress. And by the way, growth can really cause a lot of stress when it comes to uh, running a business. You know, growth requires more capital. And capital means, you know, you have cash flow problems. So even as you're growing and even as you're on the books profitable, if your cash flow statements are negative, that can cause a lot of pressure. And solving those things systemically over the long term can really improve the, the quality of your life, believe me. So once, you're, once you've engineered the things that you've needed to so that the business can run without you, then you start thinking about, okay, what do I want to do to position this thing to sell? 
even if I'm not ready to sell, even if you really have no intention of selling, but you want to position it so that if somebody showed up, that you would be able to conduct the transaction without it being a giant problem. And so we're going to take one more quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of those steps that I think are important to prepare your business to sell, just as a summary level, and uh, we'll do that right after this. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again, everybody. Steve Simpson, and today on the Awesomers.com podcast number 25, we're doing a book of the week on the, the book, Built to Sell. And so before we cut to the break, I tease this idea of what are some of the key things you need to do to pre- prepare yourself to sell the company? Even though we're going to run it like we're going to have it forever, right, as if it will be our own, you still need to prepare yourself that if you're going to sell it. So one of the, the, the key things is to get the people aligned with your objectives, making sure that any incentives that they may have in terms of their pay are aligned with the company goals and objectives. Uh, too often, a misalignment between employees or departments can create problems within your company, literal strife, you know, where they're, they're fighting with each other, sabotaging each other, or at, at best case, in those cases of misalignment, bitterness, right? That's the best case. So, you know, so one department hit its goals, the company didn't make money, but they hit their goals, they got paid bonuses, and the other departments didn't get paid bonuses because their goals were more aligned with profit or sales or whatever the case may be. Now, everybody else is bitter at whoever got the incentives or bonuses that were, you know, uh, available to them. And my point is making sure that your people know what their jobs are, that they are aligned with the objectives, and they're incentivized to whatever extent that you choose to use incentives. We'll talk about this in a future episode, that incentives are uh, a dangerous business. You don't always get what you expect to get out of them. Uh, And so... If you do have those things set up, they have to be aligned with the same company objectives that everybody has. Even if their individual metrics and their individual goals may be different, if the big picture is not there, profitability, uh, growth, etc., customer satisfaction, whatever the case may be, then you're going to have misalignment and you're going to have problems. So that's one of the the key factors to preparing to sell. The other is to consider this idea that getting your financial books in order. Well, what a concept, right? So having a good process and getting that financial system in check is really, really important. I know a lot of entrepreneurs out there don't like finance. They only do it once a year when it's time to pay taxes. That's not good enough. You need to look at these things monthly. It should be considered a scorecard. If you're into sports, it's just like keeping score in sports. Uh, we used to have a saying, no score, no game. If you're into video games, it's like a digital scorecard. How, you know how many how many guys did you get, or how many territories did you take over, whatever the, the game may be. It's all about trying to make it more fun, and it can be more fun once you understand those numbers and once you understand the inputs that you put into the company that drive those numbers. That's when the power starts to come out. So again, once you get your people aligned and everybody knows what they're doing, you get your financials to keep track of the score, and then you make sure that your systems are being you know, elevated so that you can scale. So an example of system eleva- elevation. 
when you start out, you're probably just submitting purchase orders by uh, email, possibly. Even if you maybe you didn't even submit purchase order, you just sent an email said, "Send me a thousand of those." Uh, I'm using a product company as an example here. That is a quote system, I suppose, uh, out of the gates. But I'm not going to say it's a good system. And what I will say is that system needs to be elevated over time so that your financial books are driving those purchase orders. So you can track those things. And I'm not just talking about tracking the costs, although the landed cost for a product that you're importing from another country has substantial variations. Most people don't realize that. There's all kinds of variations that happen, uh, various times a year, various movements of that inventory. Sometimes the duties have uh, changed. So that, that landed cost variability is enough reason to, to get it right, um, getting your purchase orders put into your financial system. But the other things that go along with it, like what's, have, what's the average time that manufacturer is getting the purchase order and shipping the purchase order? You'll hear them say, oh, it's, you know, I, I ship you know, 30 days, 40 days, 60 days after I get the PO. And you'll hear that. But when you can start measuring it, oh, man, the power is extraordinary. And all of these little details, all these little points are what make a company worth more. And I know I talk about it often, but I'm going to just repeat it again for you. We want to build equity of all kinds. We build intellectual equity, and we do that by learning and reading books like Built to Sell. We want to build financial equity. After all, our companies are just a financial instrument. And to build that equity, we have to pull on all these little levers, right? Our, our team, our scorecard, our systems, and so on and so forth. So that's the type of stuff that you're going to be able to do and be able to prepare for when you are preparing to sell a company. If you don't put enough work into there up front, you're going to find the due diligence process is a nightmare. It's never great, I'll be honest with you, but it's a nightmare if you're unprepared. Uh, if you don't have documentation, for example, if you don't have descriptions about what your people do, if you don't have a good financial uh, system, you know, all, all your books and, and so forth in order. All of that is basic stuff to get a company sold. So one of the other themes within this book that I want to just share is, uh, it, it's again, the story in the book is written as a um, as an example. And it, maybe it's a true story. I don't remember. But this guy basically has an agency. It's an ad agency. And he's he struggled with it. And he, he meets with a mentor. And the mentor kind of evaluates his business and evaluates his agency and says, well, listen, you're selling a service more or less as a service instead of a, as a product. You're selling time for money, which is a, is a non-scalable way to exist. And the mentor said, you need to come up with a way to productize your services. And to be able to productize the services, all you have to do is think about it in terms of what, what value can I deliver to a customer? And you know, I'll, I will set that value. I'll outline a scope of work. Now that's a product. I'm going to give you the I don't remember what they call their products in, in the book, but let's just say it's an ad agency and we're going to give you the, the Facebook uh, monthly plan. And this means we're going to manage your Facebook ad spend. Uh, we're going to you know, do this many variations of every ad. We promise we're going to deliver this many new ads a month. We're going to give you this reporting every week. They, they just kind of go down through all of those deliverables and they just do it for a flat fee every month. So instead of you worrying about, you know, 
are they putting in the four or five, six hours, 10 hours, whatever they're supposed to put in? You just see if they're delivering on the deliverables. Now, that's good for the agency because they can do more clients without having to worry about the individual time. And the more they systematize and introduce technology to help them with the deliverables, the more scalable they become. And that's a core part of this book is getting you know, the idea of productizing whatever you're doing. If you're selling a physical product, that's easy enough. Uh, you already have a product, but you can get creative with those. You can sell bundles of products. You can sell multi-packs of products. Uh, one of the products we had, it was it would do okay, not that great as a single individual item, but when we put them in you know, multi-packs, the product took off, and we positioned it differently and sold it to commercial buyers instead of residential buyers, you know, so businesses instead of consumers, and the product took off just because we packaged it differently. So we literally productized a product. And so no matter what you do, you want to make sure that you think about it in that context and that you leverage whatever technology you can that makes your model of sales scalable. When your buyer sees you have a scalable model, they will often see you're constrained by capital because we all are. And they'll say, well, I mentally, they, they say to themselves, well, I see their core business model. It's good. They could grow even faster if they have more capital and could hire more people and, and you know, whatever the case may be. And so they go, this is a good business for me to buy, and I'm even willing to pay a little higher than the, maybe the, the normal valuation because they can see the potential in their hands. And that's ultimately where a buyer does their best. When they can see, in my hands, I can do this, this, and this, exert my influence, you know, deploy my capital, whatever the you know, details of their uh, acquisition strategy are, I don't know. But they will absolutely be able to scale and leverage that thing. And then you have a happy buyer, not, ones that comes, not one that comes after you later after the sale when everybody's mad and you know, unenchanted and soured on the deal. So one other word of warning that, that John Warlow goes into in this book, Built to Sell. He says that if your ducks aren't in a row today, if you don't already have a good system – and in the, the case of the book, you know, that ad agency, they already had a system more or less selling time for money. They had a big customer that was dominating most of their time. They had to fire that big customer, and they had to reset their whole agenda and productize things. It caused them turnover. It caused them all kinds of pain. And the, the point is, the warning is, don't let that stand in your way. It will be some pain to get your duck, ducks in a row and get yourself aligned. And don't even focus on the profit and loss for that year. Just keep your cash flow strong and you know, know that the, the profits will follow in the long run. And I think that's good advice delivered in, within this book and something that people shouldn't forget, that when you're making these changes, it's not going to be instant results. And, and maybe it requires some investment. That's okay. As long as you understand your plan, as long as you are focused on executing that plan with excellence, as always. Empower. The name says it all, connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do, because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. So here we are again. Uh, we're at the end of the episode. I hope that this has been instructive and, and useful to you. I do recommend the book. You know, some of the things that I've talked about here in the podcast are, are not in the book, but they go 
they correspond with the book. And so I hope you kind of marry those two ideas up of how you prepare for sale from the book's perspective. And you can add in some of my own little wisdom or lack thereof into your thought process as well. This is awesomers.com. Uh, episode number 25, so you can go to the awesomers.com website, awesomers.com slash 25 to see any details, uh, show notes, etc. This is another Book of the Week episode, and we'll be coming back to you right after this. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again.